Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer, like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live. Bringing the newsroom to you live. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Mariana Sotomayor. I'm a congressional reporter at the Washington Post who covers the House. So I am no stranger to the woman that I will be interviewing today, who I often see in the hallways. And that, of course, is Congresswoman Veronica Escobar. She is a Democrat from Texas who is wearing many hats right now not only just representing her native El Paso, but she also is very influential in House Democratic leadership and now a co-chair of Biden's presidential campaign. Congresswoman, thank you so much for joining me. Hi, Mariana. It's great to see you, although I'm sure I'll see you if we ever end up going to vote in the House. Exactly. That's a big question. And I will have somewhat of a question surrounding that because I know Democrats don't control the floor, but a lot of the things that you will want to do is controlled by Republicans right now. And that, of course, is also what gets put on the floor. Um, One of those bills, of course, is something that you announced last month with Congresswoman Maria Elvira Salazar. She's a Republican from Florida. It is very rare to see any kind of bipartisan agreement on immigration reform, let alone on very comprehensive immigration reform. We also have never seen two women tackle this on, a new generation, because we have seen time and time again in the last couple of years where immigration reform has failed. What makes the the Dignity Act different? Well, thank you so much for wanting to talk about this. It's it's really, immigration is one of our nation's greatest challenges right now. And, you know, we're, we're a very divided nation. We're a divided Congress. And immigration is one of the toughest issues to even talk about with Republicans. You know, many of our hearings, for example, in the House Judiciary Committee, uh, when they are about immigration, it is uh, it is about wanting to dehumanize migrants. Uh, it's about wanting to to come down harder on border communities. None of that has solved what's happening on the border and beyond. And so it, it was about time that that we embark on a bipartisan pathway to solving this great challenge. It's going to be tough for sure. This is a very difficult political environment, but this really is on the nation's radar in a way like never before. And 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 Republicans are making it their number one priority. So if it is a priority and if it is so important, then they need to come to the table with solutions. And I'm so grateful to Representative Salazar for doing that. Finding any kind of bipartisan agreement is really difficult. I know you all are now in the process of trying to find more support. Can you tell us, you know, what those conversations are like? What how are you selling this bill to both Democrats and Republicans since it does it is full with a number of things that at least on the baseline many people can agree on? I think so too. Now, obviously the devil is in the details and I think there's a lot for a diverse group of of legislators that they can like, but there's also obviously a lot that they won't like because this is a compromise. 
But in my conversations with colleagues, you know, I have begun by saying, look, we have tried it. We Democrats, we tried it. We passed some bills, some immigration bills in the House when we had control, but they went nowhere in the Senate. Um, the, the Republicans last month, I think it was, passed their own immigration bill. That too will go nowhere in the Senate. And neither side is going to get everything they want. That too should be clear to all of us. So the only path really to addressing this in a meaningful, permanent way will be for the two sides to come together in the House, but also have those conversations with colleagues in the Senate at the same time so that we can at least agree on a, a fundamental framework and then and then go from there. I have been talking not just to House members, I've been talking to Senate colleagues as well. Uh, I, I was on a, bi Maria and I actually both were on a bipartisan bicameral uh, trip to Mexico, a, a CODEL that uh, was, was coordinated by Senator John Cornyn. And there were a number of Republicans and Democrats on that trip. And Maria and I spoke to colleagues about the need for a bipartisan agreement, and, and we gave some of the broad strokes about what we were talking about. Um, and there is Senate interest in this. So, you know, it's, it is going to be tough. There are going to need to be a lot of conversations. But I, I am an optimist. I think there is a path. What's going to be tough is whether it can even get to the House floor, as we kind of previewed. Right now, the House is literally at a standstill because the far-right Republicans in their conference are just not allowing any kind of vote, even procedural votes, to move forward. Given that that's a hurdle, and given that the Freedom Caucus in particular is trying to tell McCarthy, listen, we will allow more votes to happen if they aren't done in a bipartisan basis, and if they aren't deals that are cut with Democrats, that seems to already be undermining exactly what you all are trying to do. How are you guys talking about possibly forcing this to get on the floor? You know, the, the getting this on the floor is some ways away because the, the first step has to be talking to members of the Republican conference and the Democratic caucus. And so Maria and I are engaging in those conversations right now, explaining the bill, listening to folks' concerns, talking about the possibilities, talking about the opportunity. Um, and so, you know, while the Republican conference has devolved into chaos right now. She and I have our eyes on the prize, you know, just getting to as many members as possible and having these conversations. But in the future, whether it be the near future or, you know, sometime later this year or next year, if there are 218 members of the House of Representatives who are tired of punting this over and over and over again, who are eager for real solutions and who are ready to solve this, they will have a bill that they can sign on to. And all it takes in the House to get something done is 218 people committed to that solution. I want to talk broadly about border security and immigration. You, of course, are on the Judiciary Committee, where I know the subcommittee today is debating the state of the border. Of course, Republicans are in power, and many of them have been saying they've been ready to impeach uh, DHS Secretary Mayorkas for some time now. It does seem like they're laying the groundwork for possibly that question coming up. What is your opinion? You live 
at the border basically all the time. You represent many people who face this realistically every day. What do you think about Mayorkas's job and what are you going to do when Republicans try and pose this question of impeachment? You're right, Mariana. The, the hearing that we are going to be having this afternoon is a gift from Speaker McCarthy to the far-right extremists in his party. Uh, I don't know if this was part of the deal to get him to, to his speakership after 15 votes. I don't know if this was part of the deal to placate people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, who is chomping at the bit for more performative politics uh, here on Capitol Hill. But one thing is, is clear to me. The, the folks on the House Judiciary Committee who are laying the groundwork for the impeachment of the secretary have no real interest in solving the challenge that we have at hand, not just at the border, but beyond our border as well. And I hope the American people see that very, very clearly. You know, Republicans said, give us control of the House, give us the majority, and we'll solve what's happening at the border. These political stunts with impeachment of the secretary uh, do absolutely nothing to help address what we're seeing at our nation's front door. Uh, my, in my work with Secretary Mayorkas, and you're absolutely right, it has been my district, El Paso, Congressional District 16 in Texas, that had the highest number of encounters and apprehensions last year on the border. And I suspect we will have, we will be number one, if not one of the top three again this year. So there's no district that deals more directly with those high numbers of encounters than my district, my community. And so I, I have worked very, very closely with Secretary Mayorkas really from day one. And he has been not just the most responsive uh, uh, DHS secretary that I've worked with. And you know, there were a number under the Trump administration, a number of acting uh, DHS secretaries. Um, but not only has he been the most responsive, but he is open to any and all ideas for real solutions. Uh, he comes to the community, listens to the community, talks with his agents, talks with our local leaders. There has never been anyone that I've known of within DHS who's been this hands-on and this thoughtful. They may feel like you know, they disagree with the administration's approach on uh, border policy, but that that's not why you impeach someone. They're doing this to appease the Marjorie Taylor Greens of their party. I wanted to ask you pretty quickly before moving on to other subjects about Title 42. Obviously, that came to an end and many, many people were wondering what would happen next. What we do know is that there has been a drop of those border crossings. How is your community faring with that? Is, is that true? Is that what you're seeing? Um, and of course, even though there is a drop, you're still dealing with a number of migrants um, in your communities. How are you making sure that, for example, they don't get on these migrant flights that we're seeing to other cities in the country and, and being able to care and house, for, house them? I am so proud of my community. In fact, I just got off a briefing with um, local community leaders about the, the Dignity Act, answering their questions and laying it out. Um, and one of the things that they said was, 
wow, this bill actually addresses what we're really seeing on the ground and what is really happening uh, in, in border communities like ours. Um, and you know, frequently my Republican colleagues love to parachute into my district. They'll do their photo ops in front of the wall. They'll do uh, you know, nighttime border tours and they'll broadcast live via Twitter. Um, you know, but rarely do we get actual conversations around true solutions. Um, but you know, the, 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 the path forward, Mariana, on um, post Title 42, in some ways still remains a bit of the unknown. Numbers are down significantly. I get, I get a daily report uh, from the community and from our, our border patrol chief about the numbers. And it's been a precipitous drop in, in apprehensions and encounters in El Paso. And, and I wanna say many of us who opposed the use of Title 42 from the get-go, myself included, told our colleagues, Title 42 makes things worse. It creates a revolving door. Um, but most of my Republican colleagues were uninterested. We had Republican states like my own suing the Biden administration to try to prevent the administration from uh, undoing Title 42. But we are now in a post-Title 42 world. One thing we know for sure that even though the numbers are down, there are still migrants making the journey south of us um, who are still fleeing their countries. So there's still a lot of work to do. There's still a, a lot of diplomatic work that we have to do within our hemisphere. We, we have to work with leaders of countries south and north of us. This is not something that will go away. Um, and, and enforcement and deterrence doesn't do that. Only legislation and diplomacy will do that. I now want to talk to you about your dual roles. Of course, you are someone that's very responsible, tasked with the policy and the messaging for House Democratic Leadership, House Democratic Caucus, and you're now also the co-chair for Biden's reelection campaign. You know, I, I think a good example is just the last couple of weeks that we have seen between the White House communication and House Democrats. Of course, you all were very united in passing the debt ceiling bill, um, more so than Republicans. But that came with a little bit of frustration with the White House, where many of your colleagues were saying, you know, we need more communication. We need to know that the White House is with us. And there's been other examples throughout the year as well, um, with the White House just not communicating their intentions on votes, for example. You all are trying to stay united ahead of 2024. I know you all have very similar messaging and attacks, but, you know, how are you given that you are in both of these worlds, really trying to make sure that your colleagues, your House Democrats are, are feeling heard by the White House and also pushing and nudging the, the campaign for the most part to make sure that they're listening to the array of opinions that exist among your colleagues. Emphasis on array of opinions <laughs> because the, uh, the, the Democratic caucus is, we have a, a, a big tent. And so we've got a lot of beautiful, brilliant, diverse voices within our caucus with, uh, you know, bringing with them the diversity of their own districts and the needs and the demands and that, that, that they rightfully need to deliver on behalf of their districts. Um, and, and unity 
is is so important going into an election year, but also really to make sure that that we are unified on our values and that we're getting as much as we can for the American people, because that's the bottom line. We are the party that puts people over politics and they are the end game, making sure that we're uplifting our communities and that we're doing everything that we can uh, to, to deliver for the American people. And this is the toughest political environment that can exist right now in, in Congress and on Capitol Hill. I mean, ask Kevin McCarthy how difficult this political environment is right now. You know, and in, in, in my view, I'm going to do continue to do everything that I can to communicate to great friends and allies inside the White House what I'm hearing from my colleagues in the House of Representatives um, and, and where we can and should do better. The great thing is, we have wonderful partners in the White House who, who are open to constructive ideas and feedback um, and who don't push back or alienate us, who, who want, you know, we're all in the same boat together um, and, and they recognize that. And so I, I'm very hopeful and excited about the path ahead um, as, as we keep the White House as we regain control of the House of Representatives uh, and as we uh, keep the majority in the Senate as well. So I have a viewer question. It comes from Priscilla Smith, who's from Ohio. She wants to know how the campaign will address something that many people have been thinking about. And that is, of course, Biden's age and his perceived um, frailty. And I wanted to just add to that, too. You know, what would you say to those voters who are worried? Like a lot of my reporter friends who are already out in the country say that they hear this from a lot of different voters who want to vote for Biden, who might quite possibly still vote for him, depending on who the Republican candidate is. But it is a question on the forefront of many people's minds. And, and I get that. Um, I will tell you, as someone who has traveled with the president, you know, I, I was I had the privilege of, of flying with him uh, to El Paso and spending a day in El Paso with him as he toured the border and talked to folks. He is someone with incredible stamina. He is someone with the, uh, a kind of memory that I envy. <laughs> I mean, I don't have his memory. He was telling me stories about visiting El Paso decades before and some of his memories uh, of my community. And, and I, was, I was blown away by the level of detail that he shared with me about uh, his visits to my community when he was younger. Um, and I would say to Priscilla and to all Americans, look at what he has delivered. This is a president and an administration that has de delivered historic pieces of bipartisan legislation. We, our infrastructure needs had gone unaddressed for decades. Who took care of that? President Biden. Our climate has been spiraling into a catastrophe. We've known for decades we need to take action. Who has made those investments? President Biden. And uh, during what has been one of the most challenging moments on Capitol Hill, this threat of economic collapse because of a default on our debts, who is the person who brought us our country off of that cliff? It's been President Biden. And, and so what I would say to Priscilla and everyone is watch what he's done. Look at what he's accomplished. 
This is our president. I am proud of him. I'm incredibly proud of the work that he's done. And I know that there's a great journey ahead um, should he be given the opportunity to serve us for another four years. And I'm going to do everything that I can to make sure that that happens. Well, Congresswoman, you sound ready for the campaign trail, ready to campaign for the president. I have so many other questions to ask you, but I think I'm going to have to leave it for the hallways and for everyone watching. They might have to read your comment in the Washington Post. I unfortunately have to end it there, but really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. Thanks so much, Mariana. I'll see you soon, hopefully. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars Rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate.